Hi everyone, this is your host Ariana. Welcome to the first episode of the Women's Startup Leader series. In this series, key female ecosystem players from Bangladesh and beyond will discuss facets of angel investing and all things startups. In the first episode, we have Anita Ghazi Rahman as speaker and Yudra Rahman, CEO of Bangladesh Angels as moderator. So I will do my very best to attempt to introduce our speaker, but obviously she's got a very lengthy and very, uh, you know, very um, accomplished kind of uh, portfolio, uh, but I'll do, I'll try to do it justice. Uh, so bear with me. So Anita Ghazi Rahman is a qualified barrister and advocate of both tiers of the Bangladesh Supreme Court. Anita Apu obtained her LLB honors degree from the University College London in 2002 and was called to the bar of England and Wales from Lincoln's Inn. London in 2003, completing her bar vocational course on the College of Law. Anitapu is the founder and managing partner of The Legal Circle, uh, a very renowned uh, law firm in Dhaka, the founder editor of Think Legal Bangladesh, uh, the first of its kind free, open, and crowdsourced web-based legal resources platform, as well as the founder and publisher of Legal Circle Law Reports, LCLR. Anitapu is an independent director of the Chittagong Stock Exchange and a constant mentor to the burgeoning Bangladeshi startup ecosystem since its inception. And I'm also really proud to say that I think she's also becoming an investor as well, actively. Um, Anita devotes, Anitapu devotes a substantial amount of time to pro bono legal work, which includes uh, co being the co-counsel in the public interest litigation in which the high court division issued guidelines for rendering mandatory emergency medical services to victims of traffic accidents and created awareness of good Samaritans. Anita Apu's areas of practice includes all aspects of corporate, company, and securities law, including litigation, corporate advisory work, and business structuring and formation. Uh, she's also an alumni of the Asia 21, Asia Foundation, Asia Society's 21 class of 2016 and Common Purpose. Uh, the way we're going to structure this uh, session, it's sort of going to be divided into two parts. Uh, the first part, you know, we'll kind of, obviously she's been very generous with her time and sometimes we don't get to know her enough about, you know, how she came into what she's doing. And so we'll spend a little bit more on her career. And then the second half will be more of the, the Q&A on asking some questions, some burning questions, I guess, about the legal mechanics of angel investing. But I thank you so much and, and welcome. Thank you for having me, Ben. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's it's interesting. I think um, not many people get to, get to say this because I think besides you and the other person we have in common, uh, you know, Minaz Pai, I think uh, you, you're, both of you are one of the few people I think, who've seen different iterations of me in Bangladesh. You know, this is, you know, Bangladesh Angels is sort of my third gig. And I think we've sort of interacted with in all of them. And so, I'm, you know, I think in many ways, both of you have seen me growing up. Uh, in the ecosystem and i'm always grateful for your uh, mentorship and guidance and support so thank you so much uh, for always being obviously with me and also with ban no thank you so much Bea. you know it's been an absolute pleasure to see how you have grown ban and where it is as uh, almost a guardian it, or rather it is a guardian to the startups and this is you know ban is the first Bangladesh angels is the first name that comes to mind when Whenever a startup is looking for for guidance, we say go to Nijhavan, go to Bangladesh Angels. Besides legal circle, <laughs> definitely right. But thank you, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we we always start these sessions with with a question, right? Um, and it's always interesting to hear from people. Um, where did you grow up, and and what did you want to be when you grew up? So I grew up. I was born in Chittagong, uh, now Chhattagram. And I grew up there, I was there up till the age of 18. And uh, I think um, I, uh, so my mother is a teacher. She's actually a principal of a school, a couple of schools. So from a very early age, I think from the age of 15, she got us involved in teaching, which was really good for my, you know, thinking on your feet and public speaking and all of those skills. And I sort of took to it and I thought, yes, probably I'm going to grow up you know, sort of take over from mom, run the institution. But I think it was in class when I was 15, I just grew up, I just woke up one day and I decided I was going to be a lawyer. I don't know where it came from, which is why I say law is my calling. Because I, I woke up and I knew I was going to be a lawyer and that was not easy in 1995, right? Um, uh, none of my, we did not have any family abroad. 
we lived in Chattogram. Uh, the law school that I could go to in Bangladesh was DU, uh, but then we heard about session jots, session jams. So the only option was England, but then, you know, would I be able to make the grades? Whom am I going to live with? There's a whole lot of things. And let's just say it was uh, highly unlikely that I would be able to get to that dream. Um, I think the only reason I got to it is because of my, of, because of having a very supportive mother. Yeah, and I, I guess that's kind of um, a tough thing when, you know, you aspire to something, but maybe, um, I think I, I see that with a lot of founders as well, right, is that unless there's people around you who've been successful in that, it's very hard to find those templates. And I think sometimes also then to kind of find the the resilience maybe uh, to say, okay, well, you know, this is a path that's worth taking because, well, where will it end up, right? Um, so I know I, I identify with that quite a bit. And so then you went to UCL, a uh, very good school. Um, and then, yeah, I guess then the question becomes, you know, you, you, you made it to that part of the journey um, and you might've had many different options. Why come back to Bangladesh and practice law? You know, that's, that's a great question. And this is something that was instilled in us from when we were children that you have to come back, you have to serve the country in whatever capacity you can. So as we were just discussing before this session started is, you know, we are four siblings and two of us are back and the two, you know, remained back because, and that's, that's, that's another interesting story because when I and my brother came back and he's a far better student than I am, he's, you know, distinction from the London School of Economics and, but we had a really difficult time because as, as you said, unless you have someone in the profession, it's extremely challenging to make it, right? Be it Chattogram, be it Dhaka. And none of us pursued our parents' um, you know, professions. So we, it was actually us uh, who, my brother and I, we told the younger two that don't come back. You know, do your thing in England and then, but we all know that eventually all of us must come back and we must, you know, sort of um, respect our mother's goal or the teaching that she has given us throughout our lives, which is to serve Bangladesh, even to whatever small capacity that you can. Can you tell us a little bit more about, I guess, the, the story behind founding of Legal Circle, because I, I do feel like it's one of the legendary kind of law firms in, in Bangladesh. <laughs> and even people who, who've been part of Legal Circle or were still part of it have gone on to big things, including, you know, Nofal Pai. But uh, I'm just curious, you know, how, how did that work start and how did you guys end up kind of coming together? So uh, the story with Nofal is, it, it's, it's, again, serendipity because he's obviously from Chattogram and we went to the same school and he's my fourth brother. He will introduce me as his elder sister. And I say he's my fourth brother, right? Because uh, we went to the same school. He actually went to my mother's school. And every evening he'd come to our house to study English or study with my mom. And believe me, there was very little studying done. It was him giving us political speeches. And I, I from what I know of him, uh, so uh, fun fact, he apparently gave his first public speech at the age of five in front of God knows how many hundreds of people. So that's, uh, so when uh, he went to London, it was, you know, I was his local guardian. Then he came back and obviously had to join his sister's firm. So that's how it sort of came together. In terms of my journey into legal circle, again, something that just happened. It's not something that I uh, really thought about um, regarding, you know, this is going to be a, you know, so many people firm or it has to have so many offices across the globe. It's just a whole lot of hard work. And, you know, when I was pregnant the first time around, I realized I needed to be closer to home so that my husband also had an opportunity to spend some time with the child. Um, and I wanted that flexibility to bring my ch child to work. So that became children to work. And um, I'm very happy to say that all three have been doing office with me uh, just at about when they had crossed 40 days or so. And, and we were talking about that, that it's, it's literally part of their kind of 
blood uh, to be uh, you know exposed to the the legal profession, and and I also find that quite interesting. I think as as a question because obviously one of the things we're trying to do is uh, trying to you know we have that you and I are working on uh, this question of how do we kind of create more female investors, female entrepreneurs. Um, do you feel that you know had you as you know maybe it's too much of a hypothetical, but if you had kind of continued working for others, you know this kind of flexibility would have been quite hard to create for yourself. I do believe so. But one of my one of the reasons or one of the my goals with creating the legal circle was to bring that work life balance. Because I do not think you can give your best to work unless you're happy and content in your personal life. And your children obviously are a very big part of it. So we are not the first female uh, founded law firm in Bangladesh. I think we are the second. Uh, but we are the first firm in Bangladesh to have, uh, um, you know, a child facility or a creche. And uh, surprisingly, it was the men who were who brought their children more to uh, the office than women. That's quite interesting. Uh, and, and before we go to obviously the work you're doing with startups, I'm, I'm very curious for you, you know, once again, Legal Circle is kind of the go-to name and and the and kind of legal circles of Bang in, in Bangladesh, no pun intended, but um, what are some of your kind of proud, proudest achievements, I guess, outside of the startup sector when it comes to the work that legal circle is doing? So in terms of the work that we do, I think, um, and by the way, I have two jobs. So during the day, I actually um, do litigation. I have a senior, I work with uh, senior advocate, Mr. Prabhini and that's my day job. And then after four or whenever court is done with, that's when I uh, come and, you know, do my work at the legal circle. So in terms of uh, the work that I'm proud of, I think what it, it has been, and I've been working with uh, my senior for eight years now, and the learning curve was amazing. I went, it was almost a vertical learning curve. It was a lot of work, but, uh, you know, the amount I've learned. And one of the most fantastic things there is, other than him being one of the best civil lawyers in Bangladesh, it's also the fact that he uh, is uh, the lawyer for Bangladesh Securities and Exchange Commission. And with my love for company law, which is tied to securities law, obviously, I had the fantastic opportunity to have many, many one-on-one -on -one lecture sessions, if you like, from assistant directors and directors of the SEC itself, telling us where they're coming from and why a case should be decided in a certain manner so that we could, we could place our uh, submissions. So that, has been, that was amazing for me. I, I don't think I would have gotten that learning anywhere else. Other than the startups in the last year, um, you know, obviously we all know of uh, Startup Bangladesh's uh, seven investments that have been um, just launched. We've also been privileged to draft up the memorandum and articles of Startup Bangladesh, uh, hoping to also be involved in the next, in the Shoto Borshe, Shoto Asha, 50 startup, the investments into the 50 startups that are going to take place. Uh, we did the paper fly transaction very recently, the Taka 100 crore investment. Um, and a couple of other things would be, and this is just recently over the last year or less than even, we were involved in a, a, PP, in a PPP tender where our client wasn't very satisfied with the way the outcome, the technical outcome was, and we challenged it and uh, we uh, were very successful. So that tender had to be sold. Um, other than that, uh, in the last year or so, I take great pride in having edited two of two legal books. Um, not the author, but edited one on Estoppel and one on the unwritten constitution of Bangladesh. That's it, it, uh, the unwritten constitution of Bangladesh. I, I find that title quite interesting. Isn't it? I'll send you a book. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. But I know that's also something like I, I found that quite interesting reading about you that, you know, from the early days of your career, you were very much about kind of digitizing the legal knowledge, right, and make it more, making it more accessible. And I feel like that's a great segue into the work you're doing 
with startups and digitization. But but yeah, we would just to learn more about you know Think Legal and, and some of the work you've been doing there. Sure. So Think Legal came about. So this is something I felt from very early days. You know, as lawyers, when we come to Bangladesh, I'm sure you know you've heard Nature Pais, We don't get paid very much. Um, so uh, obviously, you know, even the idea of buying books is, you know, law books is, you know, do I buy a book or do I not? Because, you know, obviously I can't afford it. Even the 150 taka digest, uh, you know, becomes a consideration. And, you know, having come from England, even then we were using, while we were studying, we were using, you know, online searches and it made life so easy. I remember I was doing this research for a case on letter of credits and you know there are at least a thousand cases on LCs filed in Bangladesh every year and I'm quoting a very small number but when I went to do the search I found about seven cases reported and that just didn't make sense where are the judgments going and I sort of dug into it and what I heard is um, a lot of reports are not interested in publishing right? Because they have their favorites and whatnot. So there was a whole lot of considerations, politics, if you like, or bureaucracy in the publishing um, environment, legal publishing environment. But the aim remained that legal research should be easy for lawyers, irrespective of which stage, and especially at the early stages. And that's how Think Legal um, began. Now, Think Legal in itself, amongst the legal fraternity, has garnered, mashallah, a very good name. Um, and it's known for its collegiate uh, events that we do, and our lecture series, and the videos, and the infographics, and the articles, the whole array of other things. But that's very much our nonprofit work. Got it. Uh, moving to kind of um, the work you're doing with I guess a different type of, uh, depending on whose perspective, maybe sometimes it could be like pro bono work. But um, yeah, I mean, how how did this work with startups begin? Um, you know, how did it come about? Because you've been doing this for quite a while, even before all this. You know, um, you know, the the scene has really come into its own in the last twelve to twenty four months, right? And so, how did it start? And and what kind of what gave you that idea to kind of start getting involved? That's a great question. Thank you. So I, I believe it was 2011, yes, 2011, 2012, that I met uh, Fayaz Tahir in, uh, uh, at the British ambassador's uh, house where there was a round table. Um, and I believe uh, Seth Kamal was the one who introduced us and we sort of hit it off over Socrates. And uh, uh, Fayaz was like, you know, would you want to do some mentoring? And I, you know, 2011, I didn't have very much work, but I wanted the work and it didn't have to be. Money has never been the number one goal. It's about, you know, harnessing your skills. And, you know, I'm very, always very conscious of the fact that our profession is a public service, right? So harnessing the skills, giving back, you know, learning as you go, you know, on the ground, if you like. So I said, yeah, would love to. And that's how it started. I think I started mentoring with Startup Dhaka. Then I met Minhas Pai. And then it has been a list. And, you know, I, it's, it's great because this, this work that I do at, with the startup ecosystem sort of feeds into, keeps my public speaking, um, skills and practice ongoing, which feeds into the litigation that I do, which again feeds into, so it's, it's, it's become a very nice synergetic uh, process. Challenging, but uh, per perfectly matched. And it kind of reminds me of what Minaz Pai also talks about is, you know, the, the different things she does all feed into each other, right? And so it's hard to take one away from the other as part of obviously both your professional identity and maybe even personal as well. Um, and that's quite interesting about Fayez Pai and Socrates. So I'll have to quote it next time uh, I speak to him. I, I didn't realize <laughs> I could see Saif doing that, uh, but that's awesome. Uh, that's really awesome to hear. Um, 
and, and the I guess, I mean, was, I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in and tell you. The quote actually was, uh, I know one thing, and that is I know nothing. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, that's quite fascinating to me as well, the timeline you put out, because you know, to me, like, um, obviously, I came back in 2014. There's been, you know, a child that was 2013. I, I forget which year Bcash was, you know, formally founded and, and all that. But that's quite early, right? Like 2011. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's been a 10-year journey. It's been, you could say that you've seen this kind of ecosystem literally grow up in front of your eyes over the last 10 years. And I, I guess, you know, then the, the question becomes, um, obviously, you mentioned startup Bangladesh, but um, in, in, in terms of just the, that kind of journey, uh, what's been some of the positive developments and and for you also i think being very involved you know what are some developments that you wish or you are waiting for but it's yet to happen right uh, again fantastic question yeah. uh, in terms of watching it evolve and i have to say although i was probably one of the earlier mentors i was definitely not the first so um, all credit to fayaz samad mustafiz bhai minhaz bhai all of them uh, sajid rahman bhai uh, amazing person, right? Um, what I've seen or how I've seen the ecosystem evolve, and I have to say, I, ha I have been learning with the ecosystem, right? Because as lawyers, we tend to focus on the law. But while mentoring with the ecosystem, I've learned also the various uh, nuances and the considerations, again, using this word way too much, but uh, the mindset of startups, the mindsets of what does an angel investor look for? What does a VC look for? What does, or what should they look for? What should the companies give at a certain stage? So these are all things uh, that I'm learning as well as we grow together. In the last 10 years or so, what has been wonderful for me to see is how the ecosystem has come together uh, synergetically. So it's, there's a whole lot of synergy between all the people working together. I see, I wouldn't think it's, I, I don't think it's so much competition as uh, camaraderie. So Bangladesh Angels, um, you know, I've mentioned Startup Dhaka, Minas Bhai's Better Stories, Startup Bangladesh, um, Founders Institute, North South Incubator, you see Y Gap, all of it, everyone's there, everyone's helping each other out. Um, and that's beautiful to see, as you know, during COVID, how we all came together to form the Bangladesh Startup Consortium as well, um, and put together this beautiful document, which was a policy paper, right? I, I honestly am really proud of it. I think we should put it out there somewhere. This is, this is an excellent piece of work. Whether it got to and it amounted to anything is a different topic, but the way we all came together worked, um, you know, relentlessly, didn't we, to put it together. And then um, coming together to, and you know, we all, all of us, especially during the COVID times, came together to give pre-consultancies, guidance, et cetera, to startups, helping from each of our different positions. And that is what an ecosystem is, that is, synergy and that's been you know wonderful for me to see uh, in terms of what um, I think should happen more is I think we are now especially with startup Bangladesh now in the fold as well being a government VC I think we are we should lobby for more upstream intervention um, more policy more uh, even laws uh, Angel investing is not, angel investments as such is not recognized. The term high net worth investor is something we have in the Securities and Exchange Commission alternate uh, investment fund rules, but we don't have angel investment investors defined. With that comes the benefits of uh, tax. So once we get there, we can also lobby for um, uh, tax breaks as they do in Turkey and, uh, you know, UK, as you learned from one of your recent um, uh, sessions as well. Also, so yes, tax is something I see startups struggle with 
not just not income tax, year-end income tax, but withholdings in the different industries. Also, as I said, tax breaks. Um, talking about you know opening up or possibly having conversations around opening uh, offices abroad, repatriation of funds. These are um, very high up in the list of um, discussions that need to be had. So more upstream uh, intervention, I believe, is what is required now. And you're right. So I think for the benefit of those in the room, so during the course of last summer, I guess, um, uh, yeah, I think at least 30 different kind of entities came together in the startup ecosystem, uh, led by Tina Jabin, uh, Ms. Tina Jabin, uh, the CEO of Startup Bangladesh and, and a very uh, empowering personality. But, um, and then we put together a document to essentially, I think it was one of the, at least in my experience, I think maybe with the exception of this alternate investment policy in 2018, is one of the few examples of a startup sector focused policy document that um, that has also kind of taken input from everybody else. I, I feel like um, that we kind of offered then to the uh, to the government as a, as a means to kind of guide their interventions in the startup sector. And I think the capitalization of startup Bangladesh is one example, one tangible experience that came out of that. But um, but you're like, I mean, would you say it's one of the, would you say that like it's one of the first examples of like just a startup oriented kind of policy intervention that, you know, the whole ecosystem has been putting forward? Absolutely. The way it came together, not just from any one, you know, it was, a, it was not a narrow vision. It was a 360 degree paper. And we had, you know, um, mentors, startups, uh, you know, startup CEOs, investors, everyone come together and try to create something which would work for the country and for the ecosystem as a whole. Just to go back a little bit, Nijabai, one other thing I'm really proud of in terms of the ecosystem is how open the ecosystem is to women. Um, if there is one place I feel being a woman does not require that extra bit of work, it's the startup ecosystem. And just to add to that, we love Tinapa. <laughs> That's quite interesting. Um, I, I guess compared to maybe more traditional sectors of society, you would say that the startup sector is much more gender inclusive um, as, as a culture. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. And more and more I see uh, in discussions, there is actually discussions ar around finding, just going out there and finding more women who are leading startups and including them in the conversation, helping them out. Uh, Bangladesh Angels, uh, uh, sorry, Women uh, Angels Network that you've created is uh, doing exactly that, fostering that system. Also the new work that you're doing around connecting NRB Bangladeshis to the local ecosystem that's uh, that's amazing work as well needs a mention thank you uh before we go more into the, the legal and obviously i've got burning legal questions the audience as well but this is also to me always interesting is talking to people who have delved into angel investing and i know you've started doing that a little bit in the past year or so um and i know you, you made a couple of investments or at least commitments um would you be able to talk to us about those and and I suppose, you know, why now, right? You've been in this sector for a while. Uh, you know, what, what, what was the impetus, I guess, to start getting involved from a, or transition from being a mentor, advisor to now also being an investor? So that was natural progression in the last 10 years. Uh, with I started uh, startup mentoring where there wasn't a lot of work and I had a lot of free time. So why not utilize it to now where uh, mashallah, touch wood, very, quite busy. And then it becomes, uh, it requires some thought to find the time to do this. But, you know, you have to give back to what has given you, you know. Um, so, um, but also in terms of why I'm angel investing at this point is because it, it was natural progression, but it's, it's also because I know the teams. It just, one, I have the funds. <laughs> and two, I trust the people 
who I have invested in. And I know business is a risk, but if it's money loss in the hands of these people, that's fine with me. So that's the first and foremost consideration is, are the, I guess, um, are the people running those companies and, and the relationship you have with them. Um, yes, Yeah. that's right. And do you, you know, because this is also a question that comes up, you know, well, what do you think about valuations? What do you think about exits? Do, do those come to mind as well or? Yeah, you know, this is one thing, uh, and this is a learning I've taken from litigation and in fact, case law, which is you must let experts do their work. I understand the law. I will advise on the law. Valuation is not something I am, uh, you know, an expert in or I have learned formally. So, you know, this is something I draw a boundary on. I, this is not, uh, I will be happy to introduce people who I am happy to introduce people uh, to when they need valuation advice to the right people, but I will not give it myself. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so I'll, I'll go to, and you know, we've got about 23 minutes left. So we'll go to some of the questions from the audience as well. But I, I do have to ask a burning question that I get all the time and mm -hmm. I'm still, I have ideas on it, but I still struggle to fully answer it, uh, which is how do I get my money into Bangladesh, especially as an NRB? How do I get get my money out if I invest in a startup? <laughs> how would you answer? I'm sure you face that all the time as well. So how do you answer that question? So well, the first thing I say is, you know, first you have to be clear on what you're investing in. Are you investing or are you, you know, sort of giving a donation? So because these are two very different laterals. So if you're investing and you're investing in a company, it's very easy to invest in Bangladesh. Send it from your bank account to the bank account of the company. Do not send it from your sister's bank account to the founder's bank account. No. So money has to come from the person who will hold the shares to the account of the company because you're subscribing to the shares of the company. At the time of exit, recently, even during COVID, we've seen quite a few circulars and notifications from the central bank. And one of those which gives me hope for further reforms is the notification which allows any company to repatriate up to 10 crores quite uh, without going through lengthy procedures. So if you are exiting for amounts less than 10 crore, the process has become much easier. But what the company has to ensure at the back end is that the compliances are done properly and regularly. If the, if the company you've invested in hasn't held its AGM for three years, then you won't be able to take that exit until all those compliances are updated and filed at the registrar of joint stock. And, and 12, you know, 10 crore, 12 and a half million, that's, that's pretty significant. And especially for angel investors who might be putting in tens of thousands of dollars, even if they get a 10X, you know, that's like 100K, right? Um, so that's, that falls underneath the threshold. If it's a 10 crore kind of threshold, uh, and obviously an, as an angel investor putting tens of thousands of dollars, even if let's say you get a 10X, which is obviously an amazing return for any kind of angel investment, that's still quite underneath that threshold. So as, with regards to angel investments, that that is quite beneficial and quite helpful, isn't it? Yes, Absolutely. I think so. Too. Absolutely. Um, and then with regards to a, another question I grapple with all the time, and a, a lot of founders do as well, which is uh, this idea of redomiciling, right? So re, maybe you start out in Bangladesh, maybe this is where you capitalize it with your own capital, friends and family, maybe some angels, small angels, but then you want to go get bigger money. So you want to go to Singapore. Um, you know, you can potentially do more interesting um, and more startup friendly forms of instruments, but it does seem to be a bit of a gray area. Uh, what, what is your kind of thought on this movement to be domicile into other outside jurisdictions? You're right. It is quite the gray area. The short answer is you need central bank permission to incorporate a company abroad. But if, if you're, and that's redomiciling. If it were just a branch, then no such permission is required. But if you're incorporating a company, then central bank permission is required. Also, if you're holding securities abroad, the central bank is required to be informed about this. Now, 
what we have to remember though is what is the thought process of the central bank the central what the central bank wants to do is curb money laundering right so the challenge or the issue is to go through the process of explaining to the central bank that in me incorporating abroad it does not mean i am intending or i you know or i have laundered money what it means is i am taking my company outside because i see more scope of expansion there and if you give me the permission then i will follow your reporting mechanisms and i will bring back the money i earned there to bangladesh and pay taxes on it now is this an easy process no as with a lot of things in bangladesh it is a very lengthy process we have done this uh, we have gone through this process with a startup who did it if you like the right way uh, it it took more than a year i can tell you close it to two um so uh, that's one way to do it the other way to do it is you know i i know that a lot of people decide to take the risks because um, it's a risk if you if founders still want to go ahead and uh, do this we hope there will be policy changes as we move forward because the startup ecosystem now as once again i'm going to put it out there now we we have a government wing to uh, tinapa and startup bangladesh with her uh, you know under the guidance of our honorable state minister junadawat polok who is being also guided by uh, the honorable ict advisor so it is well within the purview of their vision on where this is going so i am very hopeful and optimistic about changes coming but it will need lobbying and i'm but i'm hopeful let's leave it at that yeah. well in it going back to the earlier part of the conversation it does sound like one of those upstream problems that, that we have to tackle as an ecosystem right and and provide clarity whether you're a large startup or just starting out uh, and 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 to your point as well you know the vast majority of founders they're not looking to launder money abroad they're actually doing this to bring money from you know foreign investors into bangladesh right and make themselves also you know i i i i deal with a lot of um you know obviously nrbs but also you know international angels and and they are quite forthright with me and or forthcoming with me in saying that um and so i think yeah i mean i think part of it's a communication challenge that maybe we have to kind of take up as an ecosystem to be able to make it much more clear for entrepreneurs to do so absolutely and as uh, you know uh, we just have to prove to the central bank that uh, we're doing it the right way and by we i mean the startups um, i think we need to show them uh, that our you know prove our good intentions if you like bring the money back and then they'll be more open to giving the permissions more frequently and that's always an important priority for the government is bringing money uh, into bangladesh so that makes a lot of sense in terms of positioning that um another question you know the vision i i would love to for bangladesh changes to pursue is you know obviously we're going after high net worths at the moment uh, because that's how it's structured but i'd love to be able to go after the ordinary retail investor who who might have you know 20 30 lakh taka into the share market and may not be that happy right now or in the last 10 years maybe diverting some of that into startups uh, and potentially i guess doing a form of crowdfunding that occurs on an angel list or in the US or crowdcube in the UK and but part of that is going to be to manage that is quite difficult to have you know 50 people on a cap table especially if it's small checks and so the ideal scenario would be creating special purpose vehicles or you know i guess pass through entities that could bundle all these small investors that could come into a cap table of a company kind of as a, as one entity um what do you think about that is is that is i mean as i understand right now that's quite hard to do legally as well as from a compliance standpoint um it, it quite gets quite expensive but curious about your thoughts on whether or not we can get to spvs in bangladesh anytime soon great thought process interpay and actually very interestingly we just had a conversation i think last month with a foreign organization which was looking to do exactly that in the energy sector um so the issue or the, then becomes that of taxation i think because when you're investing in startups if they're it it yes you do not have any so the income tax is waived right 
there's no income tax. But then when you channel that into another entity, that is not tax exempted. So the tax is paid at that level. And then does it make sense for the, um, for the shareholders to do that investment? So the way around, I think the way the government has thought about this or enabling this is the concept of the funds, the AIF fund, the VC fund. Uh, but then as you very rightly pointed out that that's only open to amongst others, the high net worth individuals and you need two crores on your tax uh, declaration to be that. So something else to consider other also apart from SVVs, can we get that threshold, make it lower? Right, and so allow those with, from a lower tax bracket to start to subscribe to these funds. And then maybe that's mm -hmm. one kind of indirect way to uh, get into, I guess, you know, alternate investments for these smaller investors. That's right. Makes sense. Um, and then the final question I would ask from my side, and, and, and this is also becomes a challenge for me, you know, in any deal, um, maybe for smaller ones, it's a little bit easier, but obviously when there's a lot of different investors coming in together, um, then the question becomes in, uh, a key kind of sticky point becomes valuation. Um, and obviously, you know, internationally, the way that, you know, angel investors kind of get around that question are through instruments like safe notes and convertible notes where you are sort of kicking the can down the road as far as valuation is concerned. You're giving certain parameters, but you're not assigning a valuation right away. You're not taking shares right away. You're essentially kind of going to, you know, you're giving money now, but you'll take shares later. Um, you know, is there a possibility of, is, one, is are there ways to do that right now in Bangladesh? Um, and, and two, are, is there any possibility of introducing such forms of instruments in Bangladesh in the future? So this is something that I've been, uh, I've been asked to advise on in the last six, seven years quite frequently. And my answer is this, it's a contract, it's a legal contract, you can put it in place. The question becomes that of intent. Will the company that you have executed the safe note with or the convertible note with, are they going to honor this document? Are they going to disclose this document at the next round? That is the challenge. And that is uh, that comes down to gentleman's agreement or you know, rather um, um, understanding and trust between parties. Um, so can you enforce it? Yes. If someone decides, the company decides not to honor you, you have the litigation route. Do you want to get into that play? In Bangladesh, I don't think you do with our rule of law index. We were 168 or in the 160 range out of 170 something. So that is that becomes the issue. And, but having said that, do I see this in play? Yes, I do. We have seen convertible note agreements executed between the company and the investor. But again, it becomes a matter of trust. And so, so you sort of have to have your, keep your, do your due diligence on the target to figure out whether this is something they will um, act on. The other thing around it is uh, in convertible notes, very recently in a, uh, in a transaction that I have been a part of, uh, in the convertible note also, when it's a hefty amount, they put in an observer, right? So that can be a way around it just to make sure that things are going the way you expect it to go. And you know that uh, in, in three months of a board meeting isn't held, you know that something might be off and you can then raise it yourself and find out what's going on and why you're not being made a part of the meetings of the company or, be, or you're being kept out. But, but therein lies the sort of ambiguity, right? In the absence of sort of, a, a, you know, a regulatory framework on that, because, you know, if you're a shareholder, you might have certain reserve matters or reserve rights. Um, obviously, if you're not a shareholder, you could attend those meetings, but you may not have the legal recourse if, you know, any kind of, um, you know, your, your rights are changed literally in, in front of you. Um, and so that there, therein lies again, once again, it sounds like an upstream challenge that we have to 
advocate for. And, and obviously there's international best practice that we can try to apply potentially um, in the context of Bangladesh. Um, I've just got one addendum to that question because I'm getting this a lot more, which mm -hmm. is startups are coming to me and saying, I don't necessarily need to raise debt. Actually, I've got you know decent kind of cash flows. The problem is they don't come in on time and I can't get enough loans from banks and financial institutions. So I'd love to raise debt through you uh, as Bangladesh angels, right? And, and, what is the, and what is your opinion of that as far as private debt agreements, you know, and particularly, and, and whether or not we can start applying more and more of that uh, as far as venture debt into startups? Uh, my opinion on this is uh, very simple and it is that, you know, we cannot, you, okay, let's break it down into two. Can you give private debt? Yes. Can you take interest on the private debt? Because there's legislation and licensing around it, which is why we have bank licenses and FI licenses. Yeah, if you're so not, again, sorry, just to close the loop. If you have a company which pays up and you go under the radar, fine. But if you don't, if it comes to, uh, you know, uh, the public eye or the, the regulator catches on to it, then you 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 have a dispute in your hands. You have a um, challenge on your hands. So it almost has to be written in some, as some kind of a service agreement with some kind of a payment schedule, but it's not really, you know, you can't necessarily collateralize it. You can't necessarily do those kinds of things, right? Um, directly, at least. Yes. Uh, the other thing, uh, basically, a lot of the laws that we're working with need reform. I'm not saying a complete overhaul but certain parts of it, and which again goes back into the upstream intervention that we are talking about. But I think slowly we are getting to that point or we already are at the precipice of being at the point where we have, we are able to identify and move for a change. Excellent. Um, we, I know we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, I'd love to open up the floor also. Um, uh, so just to kind of finish up, right, uh, I've got two questions for you. So one is something I've been grappling with and, you know, and you've seen the case of Amish Angels, right, where less than 6% of the members are women. Um, and so I guess one question would be, how do we get more female investors into the startup ecosystem uh, from your experience? I'm seeing a lot more women and I've, I've actually met so many women investors through you, Nijarvai. I want to know how you're finding them, but you're doing such an excellent job. I've met such wonderful women through the, uh, you know, the Women Angels Network. And I, I, I can see myself being friends with a lot of them. So I think you are the person, you're the right person to answer that question, actually. Uh, just just uh, Malika knows, just a bunch of LinkedIn stalking people. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, honest, I honestly think there's so much more opportunity, especially in Bangladesh, for women to get involved. And, you know, whether it's a matter of connecting them to the right people or finding the right opportunities, I think there needs to be a more of a push for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, the message I would have in... Uh, in any such exercise to say that we have this fantastic lean-in group in yeah. the startup ecosystem in Bangladesh. Everyone's really willing to help. The women are also very, very willing to help. So anyone interested, please come join. Malika, Malika please tell your friends as well. I will be, I for one will definitely be telling my friends. If not a startup founder, then at least they can invest. Yep, definitely. Yeah, thank you. And then, you know, um, you know, this is always kind of fascinating to kind of ask questions of uh, people who achieved a certain kind of place in their kind of professional life. But um, looking back on your career so far, you know, both as a, you know, a legal entrepreneur, right, which is quite you know, interesting. We talked about it at the beginning of the call and obviously an investor and advisor to startups as well. What do you think has been um, a key or some, some top keys to your success? And what advice would you give to others who aspire to your role? <laughs> Fantastic question, Nitrovai. Uh, thank you so much. I don't think I've uh, quite achieved uh, a lot yet. I, I honestly think uh, I'm, I'm just about to hit 41. But I think I've just finally come 
to my own. I'm ready to take off. So there's a whole a very long way to go, inshallah, for me. But in terms of what I have, what I have learned, it's basically as I was telling Malika about patience. It's a game of patience. Be patient and work hard. There's no alternative to work working very very hard for me. Startup ecosystem plus the law, but you know it also helps with the fact that I actually am an introvert. The challenge for me is going out and networking, not so much staying in and studying. So that helps. And uh, since I read um, Malcolm Gladwell's book on the 10,000 hours, I have constantly uh, set myself the 10,000. I, I painstakingly every day insert my how many hours I've worked every day. And I started this, I think, seven years ago. So just keeping yourself motivated. Uh, don't listen to anyone hear no evil see no evil speak no evil just work and you will know when your time comes and there's no no need the other thing I believe honestly is what is meant for me will come for me um, I don't have to try to jump ahead and take something or you know try to take uh, you know what has not naturally come to me it will come just have patience uh, just out of curiosity how many hours are you at now in that counter this is my third ten thousand, and i am at three thousand got it <laughs> got it <laughs> uh, maybe we can have another kind of follow-up call on the in your in your i guess uh, uh quintile kind of anniversary but uh uh <laughs> thank you so much for your time it's always a pleasure. Uh, thanks a lot for being uh, a supporter of Bangladesh Angels and uh, thanks for doing this call. It was, uh, it was a great uh, experience. Thank you so much, Nijirvai. I was quite nervous to begin with, but you made this so easy. Thank you for Thank being you. wonderful. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Take thanks care. to everyone on the call as well. Thank you guys so much. Uh, talk to you Thank soon. You. Thank you for patiently listening to us. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.